Welcome to the Backstory Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Cole. And this is a discussion with a artist, a writer, an actress, and legend in the game. I don't say singer, I say sanger. <laughs> Lettucey. Hello, Lettucey. How are you? Hi, Colby. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. You know, what's, what's interesting about you, I mean, I've been, you know, basically watching you in your career as, a, as an artist, but you've been a creative your entire life. And you have a very interesting musical heritage. You grew up in New Orleans and Oakland. So, like, between those two places, so much in America has happened, like, musically, <laughs> politically, like, there's so much energy between, you know, those two cities. So I, I now I understand you a lot more because I'm like, oh, OK, well, you grew up in New Orleans, man. That's the birthplace of jazz and, you know, all of the, the, the cool things. I, I don't know how much uh, into jazz you are, but my uncle is McCoy Tyner, the late McCoy Tyner, the, the jazz pianist. Yeah. And um, and so I, I was a child of jazz and we shared the same birthday. So people thought I was the next coming of McCoy Tyner. Obviously, I was not. But. <laughs> So I understand the importance of jazz and learning about the music. And in New Orleans, it's sort of in your DNA. So talk a little bit about, you know, just that that pathway musically from uh, your childhood and, and the interesting experiences that you had. Well, all honor to your uncle. I would go see him at Yoshi's when I had enough money after waiting tables. And I would go see him perform every time he'd come to town. He's one of the greats because he can blend yeah. gospel music with the jazz is is phrasing. It was just am amazing. But anyway, yes, uh, growing up in uh, New Orleans, I, I moved from New Orleans when I was 13, but I always went back and forth. And being raised in Oakland, you know, I was different. You know, I was different even in New Orleans, going to New Orleans back and forth. It was like I had to lose my accent so I could fit in or try to fit in. And, and I never fit in in Oakland, but I... I gathered a group of people that love my music and that I can share music with as well and built my brand there. And it was a, you know, when I started, it was more like acid jazz and in the Bay Area or it was funk or R&B on, on Oakland side. But San Francisco was different. So and I did a lot of theater there and I did a waiting tables there. That was the only place I can get a job. And so a lot of my work ethic was balancing doing what I need to do to do what I wanted to do. And I'm so glad that Oakland embraced me when I put out my first independent project, Soul Singer, and, and worked on it, saved my money and my waiting, waiting table money, you know, and we, and, and Sandra Manning and I were, were best friends and we kind of like put our money together in two credit cards and figured it out, you know, I've watched, uh, Master P, who was also from New Orleans, and we watched Too Short and how they built their brand and just, you know, looking at other legends in the Bay Area that were building things there. And so here's two women doing the same thing. You know, we were making history then, you know, just being raised in Oakland I, and, and being from New Orleans, I always added jazz to my R&B. I always added R&B to jazz. I always mixed it up. It's a jambalaya of who I am. And I love that people have their box of me that they love and then I just flip it because I'm not one way. I can never be one way. I'm I'm a lot of things. And if you're from New Orleans and you ever been there, you know we don't do things just one way. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. very flashy or we're 
confident in a nice way, it comes off cocky to other people, but it's not. It's really in a loving way. We want to show you how we love what we do. We love who we are and where we're from and our legacy is important. And I always carried that with me, even though I didn't, you know, stay there long enough to New Orleanians, I still carried New Orleans with me everywhere I go because I was not easily embraced everywhere else. It took a while, you know, it took a long, lot of work and a lot of singing and a lot of just loving what I do to stay and be received at this time in my life. But I'm comfortable in my lane. I'm different and I'm okay with that. Well, I, and, and it, I love it. And from a creative perspective, I mean, those are two really good places for creative energy Absolutely. to flourish. Absolutely. Now I, yeah. I can appreciate it more because Oakland yeah. taught me, I was hanging out with Daryl Coley and the Hawkins and my family wasn't really a church thing with that. We grew up like hippies, you know what I mean? So here we are hanging out with the Hawkins and sing. my mom was singing with them. So I'm around them. I'm in high school with their kids. We're all in the same generation and we're learning all this new music that was coming up. The Winings was coming out. And, you know, then you're introduced to all this music and uh, it was amazing. And I was studying classical at the same time, learning about gospel. My teachers were having a fit. (laughs) So much music to learn. And, you know, and when I was performing in the clubs, it was Daryl Coley and the Hawkins family there coming to my shows to support me. That's what I love about Oakland. It's a blend. You had Tony's on one side and we watched Raphael Sadiq and, and all of them rise up and support them and E-40 and my cousin's hanging out with Too Short. I mean, that's just So you used to go used to go over to Vallejo, huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that part of the country. Like, I, 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 everything. yeah. It's, I always view that part of the country as sort of an oasis for black folks. Um, I mean, I grew up <laughs> I grew up on the East Coast. So like, you know, we're very concentrated on the East Coast. I grew up in Philadelphia. And yeah, so I, I remember the first time I went to the Bay Area and I went to Oakland. I went to the blackest. I don't even know where, where this was in San Francisco, <laughs> but it was like we were it was like I was with some people. And mm. um, and then it was Vallejo, which I learned because I had a friend that went to Howard from Philly and I went to visit her and her roommate was from Vallejo. And she was like, yeah, I'm from Vallejo. And she was telling me about it. And I was like, that's California. And and it's like, <laughs> it's just interesting. It's just like, I'm, I, I love it. And, um, yeah, you know, I love the area for it's mixed. It's so mixed. Yeah. The mixture of it is beautiful. And yeah. the weather is great too. I love the weather. Yeah. So when you, when you were growing up, talk a little bit about when you first started to connect that you were, a singer that you wanted to be a singer that you knew like this is what I really wanted to do. I think in New Orleans, watching my mother perform uh, with her band, she had her own band. They would rehearse in our shotgun house. We had a shotgun house, and they were rehearsing the living room. And my mom would record her vocals in our bedroom, which is the next room. The bands in the living room, and they had the A track. And I don't know if people remember that, but that's how they recorded their demos. And then I would watch, hear that demo back, and then watch it that same song, go to the stage and see the people's response. I said, I want to do that. She was my Michael Jackson. You know what I mean? I want to watch her with the tambourine. And she performed the same way in rehearsal. Like it wasn't any different. Like her, her, her energy was the same every time she performed any kind of song. Like it was the last breath. 
And people used to tell me when I started, why do you give so much even at rehearsal? I'm like, what might be my last breath? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, but I got it from my mother. And so by the time I got on stage, it was another energy. So I learned that from watching her. And for me, it started at home. It started wanting to be like my mom and capture an audience. And when I started to do it, she said, oh, I'm going to have to get you in lessons. And, you know, and I, I, she would, she couldn't afford things. So we would, I would audition for programs and things around town and NOCA when, before NOCA was NOCA and then do classical music. That's how I started, you know, violin, but I really started on the drums. I didn't really want to sing, but I made friends when I sang. So that's why I sing. Not I love singing at home with to my parents. You know how that your parents get together and they have a gathering and everybody says, "Come on, yeah, yeah, so and so and sing for the people." That was me, <laughs> you know. That's like a black people like right? every black person can tell you that story. Like if you had some talent, you were the you were entertaining the adults. That was my thing, you know. So I love I love that part more than singing to other people outside. But when I would make more friends when I did it. And, uh, you know, being raised in Oakland, seeing other people perform like locals, Brenda Vaughn and Faye Carroll and all these other local people. Uh, it was also, oh, shoot, Bonnie, Bonnie Boyer. She was performing around town. And so was uh, she was the biggest Diamonds and Pearls. She was a, the big local star back in the day in, in the Bay Area. And I, I loved her as well. Uh, but incredible. We had great talent in the Bay Area. And I just love watching those ladies as well. But my mom was the start of it. So I, I was reading that uh, you, your friends when you were younger, I don't know if this was Oakland or New Orleans, would ask you to sing Black Butterfly from the <laughs> Is that true? Yes, I sang it for talent shows in high school and stuff like that. And then I sang it so much, they asked me that people would call my house and say somebody would get my number and say, stop singing that song. <laughs> but I got to tell you, that go song ahead. got me uh, free into free programs to study classical music. It also, the Young Musicians Program, I auditioned for that. And I would win the talent shows and I got into free programs because of that song. So whether they didn't like it, someone else did because it showed another range where I can sing. Because Denise Williams, to me, she just sounded like an opera singer, like Leontine. My mom, it's funny, my mom would sing, uh, listen to country and opera like Patsy Cline and Willie Nelson, her favorites. And she loved Leontine Price and Maria Callas and and then my stepfather, she also loved Aretha and Chaka Khan. But so I would listen to, and Dinah Washington. So I would listen to anything she listened to. But my stepdad would listen to Funk, Confunction, and Norma Connors, and Earth, Wind, and Fire, and all that stuff. And then I'd go to my great aunts, and it would be Mahalia and all this other singing. You know what I mean? So I yeah. grew up kind of jumbled up. And But my point is, it's like, I'm so glad. I studied those that era because that song got me into so many programs. Denise, I just love the soprano voice. It sounded like uh, the classical music that my mom would listen to. Well, first of all, that all that era that you just talked about was, I mean, we're around the same age. That mm -hmm. That is just the most, I think we grew up 
at the most amazing time for black music. Yeah. Like just the quality of black music that what you just laid out, all of those different artists. When you said Norma Connors, I was just like, you know, Starship. I'm just like, wow, like I want to go play that now because it's like all that stuff was great. We also didn't have all of the distractions of today. And so music was our friend. Like we listened to a lot of music. We actually had the album covers and and the CD covers so we could look at the pictures and read. But I want to tell you about um, Denise Williams because I've been like, I, I think she is, she, she is a phenomenal singer. I never saw her before until two years ago. I was on the Tom Joyner cruise two years ago and she did a show. Let us see. She sung Black Butterfly and it was grown people crying. She sounded like perfect. Like it was like the song came out yesterday and there were grown people, men and women, like crying because it's such a beautiful, inspiring song that's timeless. That is her song, man. That's her song. And I I love it because I love the words about dreaming. Yeah. And you will fly, you will soar and never give up. I, I don't know who suggested I learn that song, but I think I just learned it because I heard it on the radio so much, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the radio, man, I miss the radio. <laughs> it's still around. It's still around. It's still there. But I mean, you know, where it was always on everywhere. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you yeah. have to go look for it. It's, it's just yeah. the thing. So, but yeah. It was a, it was a great time. That song saved my life in many ways. Yeah, I can't sing it now because I I try to sing it, and I'm like, no, my voice isn't like it was that high, and you know, uh-uh. I, I use too much of my voice everywhere else. <laughs> well, I'm definitely gonna play it after this interview because I like I just love that song. Like it's just a, just such a beautiful song, and you know, I don't never I don't think she gets the flowers that she deserves as a singer. Oh, I gave her flowers. I posted yeah. about her singing free and free. I posted, and let me tell you I had so many it was like 20,000 so she is still loved don't don't get it twisted yeah yeah, yeah. no I, I know she's loved but free is like the first 30 seconds of that song done <laughs> wow we can talk Denise Williams all day <laughs> so, but I love um, it's classical and R&B at the yeah. same time we didn't worry about structuring her to be fitting in this particular thing. Maurice White hooked her up. You know what I mean? She was in. That's a wrap. (laughs) And and Stevie. It's like she came from R&B. It's like, that's. but you can tell she studied. But anyway, I'll be quiet. I just love that back then they had more freedom than we do (laughs) now. Yeah. So you put out your first album independently and talk a little bit about that because it's you know one of the things that uh, about the backstory podcast is I, I talk to creatives all the time and the creative journey is tough it's heartbreaking it's frustrating it's exhilarating there's so many things that happen that build your foundation towards success so talk a little bit about just the first album and just the building of the foundation of your career and then you took off well, I put everything out uh, on my own label independently with Sandra Manning, Soul Singer and Feeling Orange, but sometimes Blue. And how it started was just calling all the stores back in the day, put wow. house our, our CDs in their uh, bins. I would call each and every store locally 
I would ship every Tuesdays or drive to the store sometime an hour or two away as far as San Jose or Sacramento to get my CDs in one store. Just that distribution was FedEx and we were doing it out of our cars and at our shows. And that's how I became a local success because the people, the demand, we created a demand for the project. And I would tell people at the shows, go get the CD. It's everywhere when it wasn't everywhere but they would demand for it. And so then the stores call it, started calling us to get the uh, product. But we had to pay, every time we made money, it would go back into publicists. Go right back out the door. Yeah. And go be gone. And to pay ban, to do one gig was across to New York or DC or, or London. It costs so much money. So it, to do anything, just cost. So you, it was like a rat race going in a circle of spending money back into it. I never made money independently. Uh, it's just not designed for you to do so unless you have distribution. And so we still don't have distribution for those recordings. One day we will, but I have to do it all correctly. You know what I mean? And I had to actually, I was quitting the industry because of that cycle of not making money. I had to go and make money to take care of my life. The dream is one thing, but then you have life. You have to take care of your life. And so to take care of my life, I went and did left the Bay Area and moved to New York and just was going to just quit the R&B world or music industry period and just do theater. And I ended up on uh, understudy on Carolina Change it on, on Broadway, and I was on Broadway once as the both understudy. I was understudying two parts, and I was able to play. I was understudying Marva Hicks and Capathia Jenkins in a Tony Kushner uh, play called Carolina Changed. And I also was a part of the making of The Color Purple, and when they were creating it before Oprah came in, and then I saw Oprah come in. And they were going to go on Broadway and I get a record deal and it was like, choose which one you want to do. You could go on Broadway and still have to get another job to pay for your rent because it's still not enough money to make to cover everything. Or you do this record deal and Shaka Khan wanted you to open for her for a month or two or a few days. So I'm like, this started pulling me back in, you know what I mean? So I didn't sign for a minute because I was wanting to stay independent. So I just did the dates and then they followed me to my shows because <laughs> the single people loved my sensitivity and uh, it was Rex and my mom and they were like, you got to come back in it. And I was just like dreading it because I didn't, I've never signed with a label. So it was the first time. I'm going to go and sign with a label. People were like, oh, you sold out, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, independently, everyone else was going to independent while I had come out of it. So I said, well, let me try to sign with a label and see what happens. And it was the best thing I ever did for my career because it opened up a whole nother level of doors that I couldn't get in at one point. It was still hard 
being with the label, but I never had issue with creatively because I came in already knowing who I am. And I'm so glad that I said creatively, let me just be this. Please don't get in the way of that. And they never did. Verve was always kind with that. Every decision I made and every album I made, I made because I wanted no label pushed me. I'm just a creative. I like to be who I am in that moment. And I'm glad I did it because um, I grew my audience younger. They were younger. They were older. They were the same. They were they came back later on different albums. I'm glad I did it my way. And now I'm back to being an independent artist on my own label again, because Verve and I, you know, they wanted me to do a different thing. And I said, as long as I have ownership, we can't. And then that didn't happen. And so we agreed to do things separately, go our, go our ways and no, nothing mean or bad. It was just time for me to grow in another area. And I did. And I finally got my Grammy on my own label and my first number one hit on my own label. And it all worked out. It, it, it just, I have grown into me. I haven't been anything I didn't want to be. I've always grown into being my full self. And I'm so glad I did it my way doing Letty C Sings Nina, coming out of R&B into that, because now I have a whole new audience and it opened the door for orchestra shows and opened the door for the jazz world again. Because I started as a jazz with a jazz trio, me and a guitarist playing West Montgomery stuff and moving from that to, cause I had to get the gig and pay the bills. So I did everything. I did theater at Beach Blanket Babylon, waiting tables, singing opera, jazz and R&B. It's great to finally be in this position and at this time in my life, being my whole complete self in my profession not just in my dreams. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, what was that like when you won the Grammy, though? What did that feel like in that moment? I mean, just anybody that... It was amazing. I'm, I'm happy. I'm with my husband. I'm at home. I'm not on a red carpet. I didn't... I We had COVID. I was scared to put out an album even during COVID, but I'm glad I did. People loved it, and they loved the song and needed the music, and then I won a Grammy during one of the hardest times in the world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and people will forget some maybe that that happened, but I don't. It was hard and I was scared, but I would thanks to my family, my team and putting it out on my own. And it was I did a lot of scary stuff at a scary time and it worked for me. And yeah. uh, I, I'm finally coming back into it. And then after doing Nina so long, the Legacy Sings Nina Project. And then coming back to R&B and then my song is blowing up. It's like, wow, okay, I'm doing all the right stuff. But sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just doing whatever my heart tells me to do and being authentic to that, you know, and hopefully my audience will get it. And y'all have been, y'all like, we with you, lad, you know, and I, (laughs) being on this tour is, is showing me being on tour with Kim again. You know, this is our second time doing this and with music. And and it's like I see the growth is just beautiful. I'm okay in my lane and I love watching my friends grow. And I was telling them the guys, music and Kim, like, y'all, we're still doing this, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. like, it's crazy. Like we well, were you guys in- have a body of work too. So it's good to go to a show because today's artist is more single driven and not body of work. You don't you have a great song. I- I didn't even know. I don't even know. I don't 
I'd be so busy. I can't even go to the shows. So hearing that from you, I'm thinking everybody has, they have a whole bunch of songs and all this stuff. And then I'm like, my friends, you guys have, you you got got, hit songs. So songs that people know. Yeah. See, I forget. I'd be so in it, Kobe. Like, you know how you do your work and you're like, you don't know if you're influencing the world till you get out there again. And we haven't been out there a lot lately. We're just coming back outside. So yeah. I'm starting to get it that my lane. But you is- could you could drop I blame you anywhere and like people will be like, oh okay, yeah, I know that song. I always thought you could lightweight you wanted to rap on that song. Kind of felt like you was going you was gonna drop a rhyme. Oh, no, no, no. I was song. definitely gonna scat. <laughs> and they didn't want <laughs> they didn't want it. And I said no, that's part of who I am. And it's funny when I put out blame you out, nobody they didn't get it. They didn't get the truth album. And but the whole younger generation got it. And but my era of lost and found, they, they were like, we don't understand this album. I'm so glad I did it because I got a whole new audience on board. Everything ain't for everybody. It's okay. That's and true. I'm learning that. Yeah. But it's also good that, you know, that tour that you're on, you know, all of you all have uh, pretty much owned urban adult radio over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. So like, we know all the songs, you know, like pieces <laughs> of me, it's like, that's a good thing. Like, cause we, again, when we talked about R and B, when we were growing up, if we went to go see one of those artists, they had a body of work. Yeah. You know? So you appreciate that you were, you were fans of that. But I, but before we go, I wanted to like, y- now you jump, well, not now you've been j- jumping into the acting world and you had a chance to play, Mahalia Jackson and Selma, right? And then you had a chance um, to play Payla Bell on American Soul, which I really love that show. <laughs> that, that, that show. Yeah, so that now, fun. I am so pumped to see Spinning Gold. You're going to be playing Gladys Knight. So talk a little bit about this movie, um, uh, Spinning Gold, because it, it looks... I mean, I love that that era. I'm very familiar with Casablanca Records and just yeah. all of the energy of that moment in that in the in the country. But talk a little bit about this movie. Well, it's basically about Neil Bogart, one of the co-owners of Casablanca Records, Buddha Records. Tim Bogart, his son, and Evan Bogart is one of the songwriters. That that's his other son. They all put just wanted to give a history lesson to the rest of the world who's behind the scenes of all this great music. Kiss, Gladys Knight and the Pips and Ryan Isley, the Isley Brothers and gosh, George Clinton. And Donna uh, Summer too. Donna Summer, the big Donna Summer. So they knew that we know the music, but we don't know who the behind the scenes of how, who was facilitating all this stuff, you know? And you get to see how they became... Uh, connected to Casablanca Records. And I didn't even know Gladys was with Casablanca Records. I mean, I did yeah. my homework. She was with Motown, you know I mean? right? Yeah, yeah, she was with Motown. That's all I knew. But yeah. I found out later that her and her, her brothers, they all moved, you know, her group, they moved to another um, record label. I knew that much, but I didn't know what what label. So here I am playing Gladys, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is a big like any role you playing iconic people who either they have their family here or they're still here and you don't want to mess up, you know, this is, these are huge figures. And so Gladys is like, I just, I didn't want to be like her, but I wanted to give her essence of a great businesswoman who took care of her group and community and being black and just powerful in a time for black women where you couldn't be 
that. You know what I mean? She was that yeah. behind the scenes. She was taking care of her group and she was the group, you know, we're, we're going to do this or you can't come in and just make me sing whatever. I'm going to sing what comes from here. She's like, she's very particular about things. And we know why, because we, when she sings, we feel it. It feels yeah. like, like she wrote the song herself. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. she's one of those voices. It's like, and same with Patty and Mahalia. They were, they are, and I say are because they paved the way so that I could be the businesswoman that I am studying them. It's like they took care of their business behind the scenes to get value, yeah. play with her money. I want my money up front before I do anything. Let me know. Aretha the same way. You know, all the women back then in that era, they wouldn't be loud about it, but they were about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I love Or as they say in New Orleans, they was about it, about it. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> But I love, I love that Gladys cared about community and she cared about, she was particular about her brand, you know? And I love when you see them film, you get to see how natural. And and my scene with uh, Jeremy Jordan, who plays Neil Bogart, he's a wonderful actor. We, we didn't, it was natural. We never met. We met on set and our wow. scene began. So it's like as if Gladys had just met Neil and... Same thing. I'm just meeting Jeremy. So we were in the scene naturally. It wasn't anything forced. And, you know, I didn't try to overplay nothing. I didn't try to do all her voices. And I didn't want to mimic. I just wanted to be what her essence would be in that moment, meeting some guy who wants to sign her group and take her from Motown. You know, how would she be? Mm -hmm. Who is you? You know what I mean? It's like, right, right, right. Be a boss about it, you know. And so, and I don't like this song. Fix it, you know. That's I. That's how I envision Gladys would be. But right. I don't know exactly. But I do know she's a great businesswoman and one hell of a singer. One of my favorite voices of all time. Claudine yeah. will always be my favorite Gladys moment, you know. And when she sang "Hold On" with Patti LaBelle and Dionne Warwick on their sister special, I'll never forget that. And she just took a song. She takes a song and gives you the whole arc of it. They don't do yeah. that anymore. They don't sing like that. I still am, but a lot of people don't understand the fullness of an arc of a song. And that's what I love about about Gladys. She don't she don't care about no beat. Where's the song going? What does it mean? And how does it feel? You can hear well, I always, that. I always think about Gladys. Neither one of us. How she ends the song. Farewell, my love. Goodbye. And I mean, wow. Like, and these are songs she didn't write yeah. most right. of them, but she yeah. understood how they must come across to a listener. That's yeah. powerful. To me, that's production. She yeah. should have got producer credit on all that stuff. <laughs> and, and, and her songs are timeless. I mean, I have a 16 year old and she's known Midnight Train to Georgia since she was a kid. Like, it's just a song, like, heard it with a grandmother or something, and she was just like, these are great songs, and they're just timeless to be able to rock on after all these years. So I was glad that you got a chance to play Gladys yeah, Knight on your I resume. I hope I made her proud, but I had a blast. Yeah. Well, she'll and let I you know. If you, if you didn't, she'll let you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So um, everybody check out Spinning Gold and uh, Let Us See. Thank you so much for stopping by the Backstory Podcast. And um, oh, it's really a pleasure you. to talk to you. Me. You ask great questions. And thank you for this show, this platform to yeah. uh, kids, artists like myself. I really appreciate yeah. it. No, this is great. And uh, we wish you a lot of luck. And um, keep making that music. Keep making that music that uh, brings a little goosebumps on our arms. That's what we need. I'm trying. Look, I'm trying to be like Gladys and them, man. I want to leave there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Thank Kobe. you. Coming up on the next Backstory Podcast, iconic artist, writer, and producer, Smokey Robinson. The Temptations are put together, and you were really helpful in writing some of their biggest records. How do you write a song for, like, five people, like, you know, and then you gave them some some pretty big songs? And then one day, the Miracles and I were on the way home from a, a, a real long tour, and a song came to me. And it turned out to be the way you do the things you do. Mm. And that was the first hit record that they had and that I had on them. Uh, eventually, it worked its way up to me doing My Girl on them. So my girl has become my international anthem as a songwriter. The Backstory Podcast with Colby Kolb is an Urban One Incorporated Reach Media Pod is Good production, hosted and executive produced by yours truly, Colby Kolb, edited by Donkis. Follow us on Twitter at BackstoryPCC, on Instagram, Get the Backstory. Senior Director of Podcast Operations, Sierra Reed, for sales and corporate partnerships, Josh Romani and Michelle Marino. Digital Marketing, Walter Gaynor, J.R. Smith, and Tim Hall. Thanks again for listening to the Backstory Podcast.